Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. The publishing industry has changed dramatically in the past 10 years, and Tom Corson Knowles is helping new authors navigate the choppy waters. Tom took the lessons he learned when he set out to self-publish his first book and started sharing them, building a following and a new mission along the way. He now publishes courses for writers and provides boutique publishing services. In this episode, Tom will explain how his early failures in traditional publishing guided him toward self-publishing, what it took to get his first ebook to monthly sales of over $10,000 in its first year, how he leverages the power of collaboration with other industry leaders, and what techniques he uses to delegate tasks to his team so he can focus on what he enjoys doing most. So today I'm talking with Tom Corson Knowles, and he is a publisher who runs TCK Publishing. Tom, how are you doing today? Awesome, David. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm, I'm really excited to meet you. Publishing is, is, is a strange field these days because so many people are going independent, and yet there are still people who are making a success out of being centralized publishers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the industry has gone through this huge shift in the last couple of years. I mean, it's the internet, right? The internet has changed everything in our lives. I remember when I was a teenager, there were cell phones we had, like those flip phones, like those clamshell phones. And now you see like everyone's walking around with iPhones. They're, they're reading websites, blog articles, books. Everything they do is on your phone now or you're on your iPad or tablet or whatever. So the way people access content, the way people access information has changed. And it's created this like, huge ripple effects throughout the entire publishing industry and really shaking up the entire industry. So it's a really cool time to be alive and see all these changes happening. What is your approach to publishing? What is your company doing right now with this? Yeah, so my approach really started just from my own journey. You know, I, I was an author myself. So 10 years ago, I wrote my first book and tried to get a traditional book deal, right? And so, you know, 10 years ago, if you wanted to self-publish a book, it was basically impossible. Like you, you had to get a traditional publishing deal because if you want to self-publish a book, you had to spend $25,000 to ship 5,000 copies of your book, have them stored in your garage. And your garage had to be climate controlled because if it wasn't, the books would get moldy or ruined or whatever, and you couldn't sell them anymore. And then every time you wanted to actually sell a book, you had to go out, you had to find the customer, you had to make the sale to the customer, you had to collect the cash from the customer, you had to deliver the book to the customer, you had to lick the stamps, put the envelope, make sure the address is right and take care of all that. And it just seemed like this insane business model. Like, why would anyone do that? And I had read some books from Dan Foyner, who was kind of the leader in, in, in self-publishing back then, who had done it successfully. And it, to me, it just seemed like this crazy business model. Like, why would anyone do that? You know, so I just tried to go the traditional route because that's the traditional way you, you publish books. That you go to a traditional publisher, you find a literary agent, they sell your book to a traditional publisher and you go from there. But I just... I couldn't do it. I just failed miserably. I couldn't find an agent or a publisher to ever give me a chance. Pretty much gave up on that dream of becoming an author until about five years ago. You know, someone just mentioned in a casual conversation, why don't you just self-publish your book on Amazon Kindle? And so I did that and, you know, I was really successful really fast. I had like $12,000 in royalties in one month, my 10th month publishing my own eBooks. That was, that was just royalties from Amazon Kindle. It wasn't like create space. It wasn't physical books. It wasn't audiobooks. It was just eBooks. And so that's when I kind of realized like this industry is, is changing so fast and there's a huge opportunity here. 
And I started just sharing everything I learned with other people. And out of that sharing process on social media and on YouTube and so forth, some of my people I was sharing with said, hey, like, I love what you're teaching, Tom, but can you just publish my books for me? I don't want to find editors and cover designers and formatters and do all the technical stuff and all the marketing campaigns you're doing. Can you just help me with that? And so that's why I started the publishing company, TCK Publishing, about four years ago, because my students asked me to. Now, that's interesting because it's true that the traditional publishing route, one of the things that people didn't appreciate back then was just how much handholding there actually was by the publisher. It wasn't just that they had access to the distribution, but also they did a lot of the services for the writers. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that fits like like a lot of authors or writers they, like that. That model fits them perfectly because literally all they want to do is just write the book and just hand it off to someone and be done. They just want to go through the writing process and the editing process and and not have anything else to do with it. They don't want to talk to fans. They don't want to answer emails. They don't want to do social media. They don't want to do marketing. They just want to write the book and cast checks, right? And you look at the traditional publishing industry today, authors who, who do that, they're, they're not successful, right? You know, 85 plus percent of authors who get a traditional book deal never earn out the royalties on their advance. So if they get an advance payment from the publisher for 5000 or 50000 or half a million dollars, they never actually earn royalties beyond that. So that advance is an advance on royalties, right? So it's a payment you get from the publisher as an advance payment on your royalties. And so if you never sell enough books to earn out that advance, to earn more royalties than what you were paid in the advance, you never actually collect a royalty check. And I think the dirty secret of publishing is that it's always kind of been that way and people never talked about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's another great thing about the internet, right, is that now the publishing industry was this kind of closed, kind of like good old boys network, right, where no one, it was this very black box. It was very, you know, there's no transparency in the industry. You, you couldn't find out how much was this other author paid in advance, or there was just a lot of things in the industry that, that authors really couldn't get access to good information about. Or, you know, if you if you wanted to get access to that information, you had to pay like thousands and thousands of dollars for like memberships to, to things. So, yeah, I think the internet has just helped improve the industry for authors immensely because now we can actually get good information about what's actually going on in the industry, how much are people actually getting paid, how do I actually protect my rights as an author, right? Because copyright law is very generous in the United States. And the sad fact of the matter is that most authors basically get ripped off by their publishers because the publisher just takes the entire copyright to their work. And it's sometimes for very small, very small monetary compensation for the author. It's true. And also the, the fact that the, the author doesn't connect with their audience, I think, is one of the things that traditional publishing has never really supported in terms of the, like, what, what self-publishing brings out is the sense of the connection between the author and the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, traditional publishers have kind of tried to do that with, like, book signings and so forth. But, of course, book signings today are, you know, very unpopular. It's really tough to get more than 10 people at a book signing. And so most traditional publishers even aren't really doing book signings unless they're, you know, their, their author is incredibly famous and has a huge draw, right? So, yeah, I think that the great thing about self-publishing is the incentives, right? Because the incentives are squarely in place to help the author connect with their audience, to help the author provide better books for their audience. You know, with traditional publishers, they have all these rules. So if you want to write a science fiction fantasy novel, it has to be within this certain page count, this certain this certain page count or word count. It has to be exactly this long. It has to fit this exact format. And if there's an element of paranormal suspense or whatever in there, they're not gonna they're not gonna publish it. They're gonna say this doesn't fit the genre. And so now the cool thing with self publishing you're seeing is that writers are just publishing whatever they want to write. 
you know, in some cases that leads to what people say are bad books that are poorly edited and so forth. And obviously that's an issue. But what also is happening is you're seeing these independent authors, self-published authors who are earning, you know, huge incomes selling books that a traditional publisher would never even give a chance to because they're genre bending books or they're creating new genres or the authors are writing 900 page novels that no one would publish or they're only writing 100 page novellas that no one else would publish, right? And so it's really cool to see the creativity come out in the industry. And I think that's the great thing about the changes is that the internet gives everyone the ability to be creative and to express themselves and to connect with their audience directly and kind of just cut out that middleman because, you know, no one likes a middleman, right? Like in any industry, no one needs someone in the middle saying, oh, this is what you have to buy. Like we want choice. We want to be able to choose what we really want. And that's the cool thing about social media, right? You can connect with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or anyone you want on social media, any author you want. And I think that's kind of the way the world is heading is that people want to connect directly with the source rather than through these middlemen and black boxes, so to speak. I think that's also promoted the the rise of completely new genres that wouldn't otherwise have even come to the surface because of the limitations of you know the, the categories and boxes that publishers wanted the authors to fit into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so at, at TCK Publishing, I, I would say at least 40% of the submissions that we get are like they don't fit into a genre, right? They like the traditional publisher would just immediately say that we would never publish this because it's it's you know maybe it's part historical, part romance, part fantasy, part paranormal. It's like genre bending books, and that's really cool. I think that's good because it it it, it just allows more creativity, right? Like if every single TV show had the exact same story, the exact same plot, the exact same genre and theme boring right and so then you know something like breaking bad came along that tv series really changed the 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 industry because there was nothing else really like that and i think that's what you're seeing with books except a lot of times when when they're when there's books from self-published authors you don't really hear about it until it's 50 shades of gray creating this whole new industry selling hundreds of millions of copies but it's not just one or two authors who are like you said you know creating these new genres there's tons of them out there and they're not all selling hundreds of millions of copies, but many of them are selling hundreds of thousands or, you know, a couple million copies. And it's really impressive. It's really cool to see. It's amazing because nowadays it actually is possible to be relatively obscure and fairly niche, but still be a self-published author and make enough to make a living. You don't have to be that breakout blockbuster author in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the great thing about it is that, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, creating that whole genre or taking it mainstream, you know, there are hundreds of other authors earning a full-time income writing in that same niche now. That's cool, all right? And maybe you don't like that niche or you don't think BDSM should be, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of moral and ethical judgments people have about that stuff. But, but the same thing, again, the same thing is happening in all these different genres, right, across the entire industry for fiction and for nonfiction. And, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many authors earning a full-time income self-publishing. When you look at, like, what's going on in the American industry right now, like all the outsourcing, automation, robots, self-driving cars, this is a good thing because we are creating jobs. We're creating full-time incomes for people. We're creating careers for people who are, you know, adding value to society, who are adding entertainment or knowledge and ideas that are really making the world a better place. And you had something that you wanted to share with the world, and that's why you got started in this in the first place. And 10 years ago, you said you couldn't get a publisher interested in your book. Was, was it that far outside of the mainstream? 
No, I don't think it was that far outside of the mainstream. I think it was just that, you know, I was a broke college student who didn't have a background writing a book about what it takes to get rich, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't make sense to a, to a traditional publisher. And, and honestly, you know, that book, you know, for me, it was my, kind of my personal manifesto of just what I thought it meant to lead a successful life. It was about not just financial success, but having good health and having good relationships because, you know, I looked around at my life at the time in business school and all my classmates in business school, like their dream job was to go to Wall Street and become investment bankers and work 100 hours a week to earn a six-figure income right out of school. To me, it just didn't make sense, like working 100 hours a week in a cubicle on Wall Street in a high-stress environment without enough time to eat or sleep or have social life just seemed crazy to me. And I'd seen so many people in my life growing up who had sacrificed so many good areas of their life in order to become financially successful. You know, my parents are both medical doctors and a lot of their friends were very successful doctors, maybe specialists like radi radiologists and neurologists and so forth. So they were very highly paid. They were multimillionaires. But you would see them and they were overweight and they were sick and they were unhappy with their life. And, you know, they were divorced and they weren't estranged from their kids. And, and you saw like everything that they gave up in order to become financially successful. I saw that growing up and I realized like, hey, that's not how I want to live my life. I want to have it all. And so that was kind of the message of my book. And yeah, and you know, a traditional publisher would never take a chance on that, right? But I sold over 15,000 copies of that book now. By all means, it's been, it's been quite a success. I'd love it if you could take me through that process that you went through to go from publishing your book to selling that many copies that quickly. I mean, you didn't have an audience built in at that time, I'm assuming. No, not really. I mean, I had been blogging for a couple of years, but my, my blog was pretty obscure. And actually, so my main blog that was actually kind of successful was actually in health and wellness. So it wasn't really related to what I was writing books about. I mean, I wrote a couple of books on health and wellness, but most of my stuff is about personal development and business and marketing and social media and so forth. So I had some experience but my book was really my first kind of online commercial project where I actually made significant money selling something online because my blog was basically just monetized through advertisements, right? It was essentially the process was publishing my book, my first book, and seeing I had 11 sales in the first month. And that was kind of that light bulb moment for me where I realized, hey, if I can sell 11 books without telling anyone what I had done, because I was so embarrassed to self-publish, I didn't tell anyone what I had done. Imagine <laughs> what I could do if I like treated this like a real business, right? And so I actually started marketing and promoting and writing more books. And so, you know, I had 12 manuscripts on my computer that were, you know, some of them were almost completely finished and edited. Some of them were like half written. Some of them were like a couple paragraphs, right? But I had all these books at various stages on my computer that were basically just dead, right? Because there was, you know, there was no hope of getting a traditional deal. I was never going to publish them. I was never going to finish them even. But then as soon as I saw that I could self-publish them, there was, a, there was a way to get these to market. There was a way to make money from it and help people and get my message out there. You know, I went to work every morning, getting up at 5.30 a.m., writing my next book, working on building my platform, working on marketing. And I was inspired because I finally had this vehicle to get my message out there. Just what I did, I just focused on that work of, of creating great books, finding good editors, finding good cover designers, putting a team in, in place to help me publish my books professionally and create the best book possible. And then in terms of marketing, it was just like studying everything I could, you know, Googling, you know, how do you market books online? How do you market books on Amazon? You know, all the different book promotion sites. So, you know, I've got a catalog of 100 plus different places you can promote your book online. So most of them are free. A couple of them require small fees to get involved. But so it was just, you know, this constant process of just really studying everything that was out there, everything that was working for other people and just testing everything out that I could to see what worked for me. So you found a lot of information on Google. I'm, I'm curious if you found particular resources that you thought were, were very valuable in terms of learning how to do this. Honestly, not really. I never really found a place that was like that valuable. But what I found, David, was that every place I could learn like one thing. 
right? I could learn like at least one good idea from every blog or every book or every podcast out there, every author out there who was doing it. So I remember one was J.A. Conrath, and he had a great blog. But honestly, for me, his blog didn't really give me much of the how-to. It was more like the inspiration because this was a guy who was, you know, in the very early days of Kindle earning, I think, hundreds of thousand dollars a month, at least tens of thousand dollars a month selling his books on, on Kindle. So it just made me realize, like, this is possible. that There are other people out there who are doing really successful with this. And the funny thing is, you know, I looked at his website, and it was like one of those free, like, WordPress websites it was like a very cheap website, right? Like, and he wasn't building his email list. Like he, it was clear he wasn't like a good online marketer, but he was being so successful on Kindle. So that just, to me, it just proved that, hey, if this guy isn't a brilliant online marketer, but he's making this much money, you know, there's a huge opportunity here. If I can figure out the marketing stuff and, and align it with my customers, with my readers, what they really want, I can do really well. So did you study anything about, like you said you went to college. Did you study marketing? Yeah, so I studied business and entrepreneurship in college at Indiana University. So, you know, I learned a fair bit about marketing and entrepreneurship and business, but honestly, most of it was just applicable to big corporations. Most of it was not applicable to myself as a, as a budding author, a budding entrepreneur without a lot of capital. What I really found worked for me in terms of marketing was really just connecting with my audience, right? like finding out who are my readers, what do they want. You know, one of the things I did is re- reading reviews, and it, it shocks me today that most authors don't do this, but... It seems just so obvious to me if I could just go out and read the top reviews of all the best books in my market and take notes of everything my readers loved about these books and everything my readers hated about these books, it just seemed to me like obvious, like my readers are telling me every single day what they want. If I could just listen to that on Amazon, reading those reviews, hey, I could write a better book. I could write a book that filled in those gaps that my competition wasn't filling in, right? So it was just doing little things like that, just kind of hustling and learning as much as I could and finding the forums where my audience hung out and, and getting connected there, reaching out to other people in my market, so other authors, bloggers, publishers, marketers in my field to see if there were ways that we could collaborate, you know, getting on a phone call and saying, hey, how can I help you with your business? Is there anything I can do for your audience? Can I provide free training for your audience or write an article for your website or something like that? Just everything I could to kind of get the message out there. For me, being an author wasn't really about being an author. Like, I never was attached to being an author. Like, I, I never identified myself as an author, as a writer. I was just I, someone with a message, and that's how I feel today. Like, I just, I'm a teacher. I, I just want to teach people information. I just love to learn. I love to t- share information. And so for me, the, the, like, the book was just a vehicle to get the message out there. And so I was never attached to the book in the sense that I didn't mind, you know, coming on podcast interviews like this or writing guest articles for other websites or doing workshops or webinars or whatever it took to get the message out there I was willing to do because I wasn't attached to the medium. I was attached to the message. And that's what was really important to me was affecting people and improving their lives. And so that's just what I did every day when it comes to marketing. It was just, you know, simply education. How can I reach more people today? How can I help more people today? That's really what I focused on. And unlike a lot of people who go into entrepreneurship, you also weren't attached to being a solopreneur. You you talk about collaboration. I'm curious how you got started with that and, and what kind of effects you've had. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, <laughs> I read, you know, Four Hour Workweek years and years ago, like right when it came out. And he talks about hiring a virtual assistant in the Philippines for three or four or five dollars an hour. And this was maybe several years ago, at least when the book came out, eight years ago probably. And it took me like two years until I finally hired my first virtual assistant. So I had my first team member on board. And when I, when I remember doing that, David, and I wrote down all the things I was doing in my business that I could outsource, I could delegate right away. And I got like at least half the stuff off my plate. And it was just amazing to me how in like two months, my business basically doubled just because I hired an assistant to start delegating tasks to. And from that time on, I was just hooked. 
I was just like absolutely like addicted to outsourcing. So there's lots of things that I'm not good at. Like I'm, I'm terrible at little things. Like my team does great work at databases and stuff. So like, for example, one of the things we do with books is we'll find, we'll go to all the reviewers' profiles on Amazon. We'll find the ones with an email in there and we'll collect their email address and we'll create a database of all the reviewers who've reviewed books on, you know, let's say weight loss or entrepreneurship or whatever, right? And so we'll create these databases of thousands of people. If I was the one who had to do that, it would never get done because I'm terrible at that kind of work. But my team is really good at that. And so one of the things I learned about hiring a team is like you want everyone on your team to be doing what they love. So when I have people doing like database work, information, that kind of stuff, I find people who love doing that. So I tell people like what the tasks are for the job that I'm hiring for. And then if I don't see like their eyes light up, if they're not like super excited about it, I don't hire them because I know it's not something they really aren't going to enjoy doing. And so that's kind of how I structured the business is that I focus on doing things I love. Like I love speaking. I love podcasts. I love interviews. I love talking. I love teaching. I could do this all day long. It doesn't feel like work to me. Right. And that's the same way with, with everything my team is doing is I find the people who do, who, who love the work that we assign them, right. Who love that job position. And it's just worked out really, really well. How big a team do you have now? So right now we have about three full-time people and then we have a bunch of contractors. So like with a publishing company, we have just contractors for, for like everything. So right, cover designers, formatting, like all that stuff is just contractors, like on a project by project basis. That's it. And how do you manage the communication across your team? Because I know that can be pretty tricky, especially as teams start to grow. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of great tools. One thing that works for us is Asana is a great project management tool. Basecamp can be a good tool if you if it's like for customers. So like if you have like a client who you want to be involved in the process of a project, Basecamp can be really good for that because then it's just kind of a, like a nicer interface for someone who's not really tech savvy. And then we use all kinds of like we use Google Docs for a lot of things. So like we'll have our standard operating procedures and Google Docs. And that's essentially, you know, every time we do a task, we document like how do you do this, right? So, you know, how do you go about finding reviewers on Amazon, right? And so we document that process so that if that person leaves the team or we need to hire someone new or we need to fill that role or whatever, we have a document. We can just bring someone in and just follow the steps. And, and so it's kind of like our organization is constantly learning, right? How many processes do you have documented at this point? I don't know. That's a good question. It's quite a few, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know the number. Yeah. But that's been really important too because it's like by documenting it, it you know, especially with a virtual team because you're not meeting in person every day. By documenting it, you can see, like, I can review what someone else is doing, or they can review what I'm doing, and, and we can point out, like, oh, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about doing this? Have you tried this? And so it's, it's just a great way to be uh, really clear with our communication and to constantly improve. And so we don't treat them like, okay, once we have the process down, we're never going to change it. It's more like, okay, this is what we're doing now, but we're always open to improving and changing and growing. That's excellent. And what is your process like then these days? So, I mean, you were talking about in the early days, you were getting up at 530 in the morning and just really hustling. How has your routine evolved over the years? I'm definitely way more relaxed now. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I mean, it's great. Like I have a team, so they take care of a lot of the hard work, a lot of the busy work, a lot of the work that I usually used to find absolutely frustrating and overwhelming and, and annoying, right? Which is awesome. So I get really good to focus on doing what I love. But I think at the same time, I found that it's also really important to stay connected with the projects, right? So I don't know how I heard this. I think it was a mastermind group or something. Someone was talking about how for a creative person, you get the most like enjoyment satisfaction out of creating a project from beginning to end. 
if you're a creative person and maybe you're like only, let's say you're only writing a book and you just write the book and you hand it off, everything else off your team and you never really see the final result. And like for ghostwriters, right? Like you, you never see the final result. You, you write the book for someone, they pay you, you go on your way to the next project, but you never really see the book in print. You never get to connect with your readers. That is a very unfulfilling thing. At least that's how it's been for me, right? So to, to start a project and not finish it and not connect with the customers for me is really unfulfilling. And so even though I have a team and I outsource a lot of things, there's a lot of things I don't outsource, like emailing my customers. I'm always responding to emails from customers, from readers. I love it because it, it keeps me connected in that process. It keeps me learning, like, what do my readers want now? What do my customers want now? What's, what's on their mind right now? What's working? What's not working for them? I mean, there's a lot of things you can outsource, but... For me, I found if I outsource too much, then I lose that connection and I start getting like bored with the business and unfulfilled. And I found that by staying connected and staying in the loop with the customers, it helps me really to be a better entrepreneur, be a better business person. So how do you find the balance these days between the teaching that you love doing and running your publishing company? You know, for me, it really goes hand in hand. So the thing about the publishing business is that it's a very long sales cycle. You know, from the time someone submits their manuscript to us to the time they actually sign a publishing deal to the time they actually deliver their final edited manuscript to us to, for us ready to publish, the average is like four months. Sometimes it can take like two years, right? So this is a very long, drawn-out process. And so because of that, there's not a lot of time that I have to commit to that process because it's really just, you know, answering a few emails here, getting on a couple of phone calls here, and then my team manages the rest of the details in between. So it's not a big time commitment in terms of the publishing business because we, we're kind of a boutique firm, so we only have about 100 clients right now. So it's not actually a huge time commitment for me personally because of the way we structured it. And so because of that, I maybe spend just a couple hours a day in the publishing business, and the rest of my time is really on education, which is what I love to do. So it's just kind of worked out perfectly that way. I think as we grow and as we scale, it will be different. But for right now, that, that's what's been working for us. So is the publishing kind of a small piece of your business right now? I'd say, yeah, it is small-ish. So... The thing that I've learned is that because the, the sales process is so long and it's a very long-term business model, like I love the publishing business because if you're the author, you own the copyright for your work for 75 years in the U.S. That's a huge period of time. And essentially, if, as long as Amazon exists, as long as these retailers exist to sell your books, all you're doing is uploading files to their servers and uploading some metadata, just information about your book into the database. You know, they're doing most of the work for you. So you're basically guaranteed income for the next 75 years. So from that standpoint, I absolutely love the business because it's like I don't know any other business where you're guaranteed income for 75 years, right? It just doesn't exist. There's nothing else like that. So it's a very long-term business model. And so the business is definitely on a growth curve. It's doing really well. And I love that consistency. But again, the, the sales process is so slow. So because of that, what I, what I found is that instead of focusing on the publishing business in terms of marketing, we really just focus on education. So we focus on marketing or education. So we, I've got courses and software and tools for authors and we focus like our ad spend and, you know, affiliate promotions. And most of our marketing, we focus on the educational offerings that we have. And then out of every thousand students that we have in our courses, you know, we know a certain percentage of those are going to apply to be publishing clients and are ultimately going to become publishing clients. So that's how we're really growing in the business. With a course, you know, if we sell a $300 video course for authors, we can tell right away. You know, we spent $10,000 in ads this month. We had $20,000 in revenue. We know exactly what our profit or what our return is, and we know our numbers that enough, a certain number of those people are going to apply to be clients. So that's what I found really works best for this business. 
So you so you've shifted kind of your focus. You started out with publishing about five years ago, focusing in on the eBooks themselves. Can you tell me a little bit about how you transitioned to courses and what that was like? So I wrote my first books about five years ago and published them, and you know I had my twelve thousand dollar month, which was, for me was like my goal had been like ten thousand dollars a month for years. You know I was like personal development junkie right and so i was always writing down you know my goal ten thousand a month for years and years and years and there were months i've hit it before then but it never like consistent and so now then it was finally consistent and i was like oh my god this is amazing like i finally achieved my goal right and so for me that was huge so what happened was after i start my personal books started doing really well i started getting lots of questions from people other authors on social media and facebook and email just ask me questions you know how did you write the book how did you publish it all so forth and so my business coach at the time said hey why don't you just create some videos on youtube post them on youtube and rather than just answering these these long emails and wasting all your time answering these emails you can just say hey i i recorded a youtube video on it you can check it out here and so i did that and one of my videos on formatting your ebook for kindle went viral it had like 10,000 views in a very short period of time and so my business coach was in like, hey, this is going so well for you on video. Why don't you create a video training course? And so I did that. I, I posted my first video training course on Udemy. And so since then, I've had over 40,000 students on Udemy go through my video training courses. And so that's the process. So the process went from having my own books, doing well, sharing some free videos on YouTube, then going to a Udemy video course. And then out of the Udemy course was where most of my students came from that asked me to start the publishing business. So that's kind of how it got started. So when I started the publishing business, I already had the video training course. So it just kind of went hand in hand from the beginning. Do you currently use Udemy as your primary uh, way of delivering your courseware? Not anymore. I think Udemy has done a really poor job in the past couple of years, and they've kind of destroyed their business. So like my income on Udemy went down by like 90%. I've talked to a lot of the other top, I was one of the top instructors, I mean, I still am, but a lot of the other top instructors I've talked to, too, their income has gone down significantly as well because of some mistakes that they made with pricing and a couple of their policies have been really bad business decisions. So when that started to happen, I said, hey, like, we need to switch. We need to have, you know, our, we need to own our own course platform. And so now we have our own course platform at tckpublishing.com. But essentially, we have our own platform so people can log in with, we use Wishlist Member and Optimize Press 2.0 for a lot of our stuff. But that way we can control the content, we can control the platform and make sure people are getting great products and great quality. Okay. Yeah, I, I figured you probably had moved to something that you were managing yourself as opposed to living on somebody else's platform. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I, I love Udemy because at the beginning, because I saw the potential is like, it was very much like Amazon, right? Like it was this marketplace with millions of students who were just one click away from buying your course. And that's very much like Amazon. But because Udemy messed up their business, they went from being the market leader to being just one of thousands of different, uh, different, you know, one of these MOOCs or whatever they're called, these massive online learning platforms. You know, the problem with me now in the industry is that it's so fragmented that it's almost like a waste of time to post your content as an instructor on these course platforms because you have to post your content on like 80 different platforms to reach 20% of the market. It's wild how, how that's happened. So very different from Amazon. Like Amazon owns like 70% plus of the ebook market in the U.S. and 80% in the U.K. Like it's very much, you know, market leader. Like Coke and Pepsi, right? Coke is number one. Pepsi is number two. Who's number three? Like no one knows, right? In this course platform industry, it's like there is no clear market leader. There's just so many different companies. And so as a content creator, you can either choose to spend all your time trying to get your content on all these different platforms and managing all the different platforms and making sure each platform is paying you properly and promoting however you would promote a thousand different platforms, or you can just create your own platform and go directly to the customer and earn a lot more money and, and spend a lot less time and hard work on it. 
And it's, it sounds like the, in order to, to go directly to the customer, you're talking about the kind of marketing that involves building your own mailing list, reaching out directly to your audience. How, how do you structure that these days? Yeah, so I think it all starts with a good website. So you have to have a website that you own. So I have a big mistake I see a lot of people make, especially writers, they'll say, oh, you know, I can get a free blog on WordPress.com or Blogger.com or Tumblr. And the problem with that is that you don't actually own that website. You don't own that domain. And so at any point in time, they could take your website down. So I remember I had a blog from Blogger like 10 years ago, and Google just shut my site down one day for no reason. They didn't give me any reason. They just said, we're shutting your site down. And so I lost all my content, everything I built on there. And so that taught me this big lesson, like, hey, like, I better own my website. The other problem with that, with those free platforms, is that you can't build your email list effectively. So they don't allow things like opt-in forms and pop-ups and a lot of the time that really help you build your email list. And so actually out of that experience, I created a free training course at blogbusinessschool.com or teach people how to set up their own website. So it's like you, you buy hosting, you, know, you have to have hosting and you have to own your domain name. And when you own hosting and you own your domain name, you own your website, you own your content. And then you can actually build something, like we use WordPress for pretty much everything. You can actually build something that creates a great experience for your customers that you own that you can then build your email list. So I think that's crucial is you have to own your own website and you have to have a strategy for building your email list. And so uh, <laughs> one of the best pieces of business advice I've ever got about online marketing was like, hey, if you want to sell more stuff on your website, just add more buy buttons, <laughs> right? It sounded like ridiculous to me. Like when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this guy's crazy. Like what? But then I, I started like just looking at the competition and looking at all the websites that were making a lot of money. And I just started noticing, hey, they have like way more buy buttons than I do. And so in this case, we're talking about email, right? And so you want more email opt-in opportunities right than you have so when i first started my blog i had like one email at the top right of my blog and the very top right in the widget and the header or not the header in the sidebar the top of the sidebar you know there's a little opt-in form that says hey you know if you want my free video training course put your name and email here right and there's just one that was it and so when i had that i think i was getting like two percent conversions and so now that i have pop-ups and i've got links everywhere and the whole site like there's 10 different ways you can opt in on the site and none of it's too intrusive and it's not really annoying but it's really effective. And so now we get like five to 6%. So we get way more people subscribing to our email list now because we have added more buy buttons, right? We've added more opt-in form opportunities. That's one of the things I found really helpful. Uh, there's a great tool, Sumo Me or AppSumo. The Sumo Me app is amazing. It has like custom pop-ups for you and all this stuff. And, and that has helped me dramatically increase the conversions on our websites as well. So if you're already getting traffic to your author website, or if you plan to get traffic to your author website or blog or whatever, Having something like that can definitely help increase your, your conversions dramatically to your email list. Absolutely. I've heard a few people recommend things like that. But I'm curious, how, you, how do you get that traffic in the first place? Because first people have to find out about you. Yeah, so I do a lot with just content, right? So YouTube, I started on YouTube years and years ago, just doing little videos. I remember when I first started, I was so shy of like, I couldn't, I couldn't stand to be on video. So I just took actually like an iPhone today. But back then I had like a, I bought a $200 flip cam. I remember those flip cam things. That technology is so old. It lasted for like a year, but <laughs> but it worked great. So I just started every day. I would record a, a quick video on the flip cam. I just hold it in front of my face and and I would just talk about something that was relevant to my audience. You know, when I first started, I was doing health and wellness blogging. So I would talk about fitness and you know I would go running for the day and I would record a, a short video while I was running about what I had learned or, or some an idea I want to teach people. So it's that simple process that can be so helpful. Like just record videos. I look here at locally and the area where I live, like most of the car mechanics here are just terrible. They're overpriced. I remember one place I went to and 
they wanted to need to pay $150 just to look at my taillight, just to look at it before they would even <laughs> fix it, which would have then cost hundreds of more dollars. And so I had my buddy come over who's a mechanic and he fixed the problem. The taillight was out and he basically, all he had to do was just like rub some sandpaper on the wire that had been corroded and then and put it back in and it was working. And so it took five minutes to fix it. The reason I bring that up is because, so now when I, when I want to have a problem with my car, the first thing I do is I go to YouTube. I say, how do I fix this in my 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee? And I find all these amazing videos, all these amazing resources to fix my problem. And so even if I have a mechanic working on it, I'll be like, hey, here's the video on YouTube. Here's how you fix it. You know, you can go ahead and fix it now. Because I also have times where like mechanics will like don't know what to do, right? But if I just show them the video, then they know what to do. And so the reason I bring that up is because that's the experience for customers in every industry everywhere in the world. There's so many things as customers that we need more information. We don't have the information. The experts have the information. And so if you're an expert in your business, if you have a great product, a great service, it just makes sense to record a video, record several videos teaching your customers about what you do. Simply by doing that, like I, there's something called like FAQ. So anytime we get a question from any customer, if we've never answered it before in video format, we try to answer that in video format and post it on YouTube. And we get so much traffic from that. So it's just simple things like that. And then you can take those videos and you can turn them into blog posts and articles and so forth, podcasts. There's so many ways to use that content. But video is huge right now. I mean, like over half the time people spend on the internet right now is spent watching video. And so, you know, if you're a business owner, an author, an artist, and you're having a slow day, you, you're not having enough customers, you're not having enough traffic to your website, you don't have anything important to do to grow your business, just record a quick video, post that on YouTube. Right? That's how you build your business is by educating people. And I think that's the power of the internet is that it rewards people who educate. It rewards people who share good information. And so if you're an expert and you have good information, you need to be sharing it more and more and more, and that's how you get more customers. That's true. The old idea that you have to keep your, your secrets to yourself and make sure that you're the only one who knows them, that's gone. That, that's, so, that's so in the past. Yeah, I think for the vast majority of things, I mean, there's a few cases in business like where you have some secret, like some secret sauce, some secret recipe, some secret intellectual property, you know, like the, the formula for Coke, right? Like that would be silly for them to share that. But the vast majority of things in business should be shared because it creates a deeper bond with the customer. It helps you get more traffic, more exposure. It sets you apart from the competition. And it's just going to get you more sales at the end of the day. So one thing I picked up on that you mentioned earlier, you mentioned that you had a business coach early on. And not everybody goes with business coaching as an approach, but it seems to have worked for you. I'm curious, how did you get started with business coaching? How did that work for you? You know, I, I never really felt like I could afford it. <laughs> right? So when I first heard about coaching and stuff, I just thought, you know, this is this is silly. Like, you know, why do I want to spend $1,000 a month on coaching or whatever the price tag is for whoever your coach is? It just didn't make sense to me. And then I just, this one guy is just, he offered like free coaching. So you could get on a call for like an hour for free and just test it out. And so I did that. And I was just like amazed, like how, how much that impacted my business. I mean, right away, I, I implemented several things that increased my income by several thousand dollars over the course of that year. So was that the same coach that you stuck with? No, I, I've rotated coaches quite a bit, which I like because, I, you know, you get different perspectives. You get different experiences from different areas of life. And so I've had coaches not just in business, but personal life and relationships and health and, and all kinds of stuff. I think the, the thing about coaches that I've found is like the best coaches are just good listeners and good, good question askers, right? That's really all they do. They're not, they're not really there to tell you what to do. They're there to help you figure out what's going on in your life, where the problems are, where the opportunities are, what you can do to make a difference. And most of the time those answers come from me, right? So they're really just there to ask questions and probe and make sure I'm paying attention to the important things in life. That's why that's been my experience with coaching. 
That's an interesting point, because a lot of people, I think, go only for the coach who has the specific expertise in the area that they want to learn about. But there's a distinction, I think, between coaching and mentoring. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's very different, right? So like for a coach, I don't really, I, I want them to be expertise. Like I want them, my coach to be more successful than I am in that area of life that they're, they're working with me on. But it's very, like you're right, it's very different from a mentor relationship. So a mentor is someone who like they have to have gone there before you. They have to be the expert. They have to be much more successful than you in this area and have experience so they can just tell you what to do next. Really a mentor is what they're saying is here's what I did. You know, here's what I recommend you do in your situation. A coach, on the other hand, is someone who's like helping you uncover what is the real problem here? What are we really working on? Where are the real opportunities here? So it's, it's a very different process for sure. Has mentorship played a role in your career as well? It has, but I've never really found like a mentor. So I think there's kind of this myth going on out there that you're going to find that one person who's going to hold your hand and guide you along your entire career and help you become successful. I've never found anyone remotely like that, right? So when I found mentors, it's usually I get on a call with someone for half an hour and ask them a couple of questions. You know, I had a call a couple months ago with several publisher uh, CEOs of, of publishing companies, founders of publishing companies from the you know, 10 to $25 million range and just ask them questions about their business and where does the revenue come from and how do they grow the business and where are the opportunities for them and just asking questions like that. But, you know, I don't have ongoing relationships with those people. I'm not talking to them every month or every week. They came in my life at that point in time to give me some information then, and we're still in connection. We still refer people, we still refer clients to each other and so forth, but it's not like this ongoing regular weekly call. I've never found a mentor like that in my experience. You also mentioned that you had done some collaboration work with other people in the, in the publishing industry and probably in the, in the education industry as well. Mm-hmm. Have you found relationships like that that have built up sort of like a mastermind group for you? Yeah, so I'm actually involved in a couple of mastermind groups, which have been great. Yeah, and there's definitely like kind of a network I've built up over the last couple of years of just people that, you know, kind of like my go-to people in the industry. So whenever I launch a new product, they're the first people I reach out to. Whenever they launch a new product, they're the first people. I'm one of the first people they reach out to. And, you know, we're constantly referring clients and students and connections and affiliates to each other. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's crucial, I think. It's been crucial to my success in business is really just finding people who have similar values and have good products and services to offer to people that you can feel proud to promote and support. And even if you're not mailing your list for them, I feel like I support them. And so when I when I meet someone who would be the perfect client for them or the perfect promotional partner for them, I, you know, I'm, I just make the introduction right away and they do the same for me. And it's been it's been huge. For sure. Were those masterminds that you kind of put together yourself or were they formally structured things that you joined? Uh, So the mastermind groups I'm in are formally structured things that I joined. Uh, So how did you find those? The one I'm in is like invite only. It's a private group. Okay. So I was just kind of a friend I met in business doing a promotion. I was doing a promotion for their launch and then his affiliate manager just reached out to me and we connected and stayed friends. And so, yeah, so that's, that's how I stayed connected with that. So it sounds to me like you're, you're very enthusiastic about the work that you're doing. That sounds like it keeps you motivated. But I'm curious, how do you keep so many balls in the air and how do you keep juggling so much? I never feel like I'm juggling a lot or like I'm, I only focus on a few projects at a time. Everything I've done in business, I try to treat like long term. So when I create a course, I want it to be relevant for the next 50 years, right? And so we might have to go back and make some updates. Like as Amazon changes things, we have to go back and update some videos and courses and so forth. But I'm not this kind of person who like just launches a product and I'm like, oh, we're just going to do a launch for it. And then six months from now, we're going to just, you know, forget this product even exists and work on the next thing. I'm the opposite of that. So like we create one product and then we're constantly improving it and working on it and making it better and better and better. So like, for example, Bestseller Ranky Pro, the software I created about three years ago to help with market research on Amazon, 
when we first launched it, it was like I only created the software for myself for the publishing company because it was what I was doing for all of our books. I was doing market research and it took forever because Amazon's bestseller list and their way to lay out their whole website is just terribly inefficient. And so I said, hey, we can do this better. We can make software. I can use in-house to make this job a lot, a lot faster. And it was so valuable for me. I just decided to share it with other people. And so since then, we've made like over 100 updates to the software and, and we've launched it publicly. So now it's like any author can go out there and buy it. And so that's something I'll probably be doing for the next 10, 20 years. That's how I've looked at my business is that everything I do is long-term. And I think that's kind of helped me focus on just a handful of things that are really going to make a difference rather than typical online marketing business model, which is just like launching some new crappy product every six months just to sell a lot of stuff. For me, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit my values. So if you were starting over right now, you wanted to build a business like the business that you have, how would you start? Just start by creating great content, you know, videos, blog posts, have a good website, you know, get Sumo Me on there, get as many email options as I could, create a really valuable course, core offer, product, service, whatever it is. And then once I have that really valuable product, go out there and find other people in the industry and connect with them and see how I can add value to their network and see if they don't want to promote my product or service to their audience. That's how I go about it. That makes a lot of sense. So I know that there are a lot of people in my audience who are interested in publishing themselves. So how can people find out about you and get in touch with with your organization and get access to some of your educational materials? Yeah, you can check out the blog and information at tckpublishing.com. We've got tons of free downloads and checklists and resources from everything from writing your book to publishing it to marketing it. And I also have a free video training course where I walk you through the process step by step of formatting your eBooks for Amazon, publishing them on Amazon, and then actually launching your book. And that's at ebookpublishingschool.com. And then I have a podcast show where every single week we interview best-selling authors to find out what's working right now to help them grow their fan base and increase their income. And that's at publishingprofitspodcast.com. Fantastic. And it sounds like with the trajectory that you're on, this is going to be a fairly steady business for a long time to come. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing all your information with my audience. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.